This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Yes, and hello and welcome to Plato's Cave, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. Uh, joining me tonight in the cave is Emma Westwood. Hello, Emma. Or is it an illusion? It's an illusion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really here. <laughs> or is she? Is Sally here? I think I am. <laughs> and Sarith Howard, how are you? No, not here. Not here. No, I'm just smoking mirrors. <laughs> Somewhere else. Um, and my name is Lisa Kovacevic. Hello, everybody. Um, on tonight's show, race relations of old and new are explored in Spike Lee's latest offering, Black Klansman. A father-son relationship is explored in the locally shot film, West of Sunshine. And the dynamics of a father-daughter relationship are explored in Leave No Trace, which is a good place to commence tonight's discussion. Um, Many listeners will be familiar with Oscar-nominated filmmaker Deborah Granick's first uh, earlier film from 2010, Winter's Bone, which really launched Jennifer Lawrence's career off into the stratosphere. Winter's Bone was a naturalistic thriller about a teenage girl trying to find her father and keep her family together against the harsh Ozark wilderness. And Granick's latest film, Leave No Trace, traverses similar terrain. A father and daughter are living off the land in a seemingly idyllic existence within a beautiful, dense forest on the fringe of the city of Portland, Oregon. With their days spent foraging for food, cooking, reading and playing chess, the duo have created an off-the-grid existence, rarely making contact with the human world at large. Uh, The pair go to great lengths to keep their camp well hidden and their existence concealed, but when a small misstep exposes them to the authorities, they're sent on an increasingly erratic journey in search of a place to call home. Daughter Tom, who's played by a New Zealand's Thomason McKenzie is quicker to adapt to her new surroundings but her father Will, played by Ben Foster, finds the transition to the modern world nearly impossible. Sally, how did you find Granick's latest tackling of this somewhat difficult subject matter, I suppose? Uh, I thought it was an interesting movie because there it did touch on lots of subjects that haven't been explored a lot in cinema. Um like what? What were the things for you like that PTSD stood out? Like PTSD yeah. is something that we haven't seen explored a whole heap. Not in this way, yeah. I would say. Yeah. Um, and I don't think, for me, I don't think it was that successful. Um, it it touched on, like I said, things that we don't see a whole lot, which are PTSD if we want to live off the grid, um, particularly in this day and age when we're consistently being tracked, which are really, you know, relevant and interesting ideas. Um but I didn't think that was executed that well. What, why not? What, what was lacking for you? Uh, I have I, I have a very personal connection with veterans and PTSD, and it's something that I've been exposed to my entire life. Mm. And from it, just the communication of that, it didn't come across. For what me. about the the dynamic between her and him? Would not you at say? All. Yeah. Okay. Very, all right, very that's different. But then yeah. that's because I, you know, it is personal experience for me, which you know, so it. it it didn't. It didn't ring true no. for you because the, the relationship mm. in this is between a father who has PTSD, which isn't really explored. We don't really know what's happened, no, except that he's, a, you know, an ex-war um, vet veteran. It's more through his context, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And strangely, those around him, considering he's off the grid, yes. Yeah, there are others. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and so it's about his relationship with his daughter, which is a very loving one. And is that the thing that you found hard to reconcile, Sally? Yeah, it was just a very close relationship. He, 
was very concerned with her and her feelings and that sort of thing, which I, I don't think is necessarily rings true to people that do suffer from PTSD. I think right. it's, they, they, yeah, it's, they can't it's, connect. Yeah, it's a, yes. um, yeah. you know. Yeah. They detach from things. Yeah. Um, but there were some really gorgeous aspects of the film. Like the film itself was looked beautiful, like really, really pretty. And the way that it did sort of bring up that thing, the PTSD with, um, you know, selling, I guess, prescription drugs, Xanax and things like that, mm. the way that it was bought in, I think, yeah, it was an interesting film, but I didn't love it. Yeah. See, mm. I, I found that the fact that he was so... The father figure in this film is so driven by his desire to remain connected to nature. That's his only respite from the horrors in his mind um, is to be in the wilderness and living off the grid in this way. But I found that as a really selfish act because mm. the daughter is desperate for community and connection. She seems to love that sort of um, idyllic existence to a point. And then when she's exposed to the world at large, she sort of sees, oh, there's more to, to the life that I've been leading that I haven't been exposed to and I, and I desire that connection. And he sort of yeah. denies her of it. He refuses. So he, he sort of takes her on this sort of quite treacherous journey um, to to reject civilization and remain well, he in nature. He doesn't give her the choice, does no. he? No. But that's interesting because it can broaden out, you can broaden it out into the whole parenting experience. Absolutely. As a parent, what you choose to expose your child to, because you usually will do something through your own experience, say, okay, I'll take them away from that because that didn't work for me. Mm. But um, so, so I like that aspect that you could apply it to a much broader context. And that's what I, I did really like about this theme, that you could broaden it out rather than narrow it in. And it also was very um, – there wasn't a right or wrong. Yes. I could see how the, there was the well-intentioned side and you, you weren't presented by the the officials, weren't – the evil anonymous officials. You could see how they were trying to work with the system in to, to try and help them. Um, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I felt that there were, even though these these this father and daughter are forcibly removed from their camp dwelling, whether they've they've made a life for themselves on the fringes of society, and they're sort of forcibly removed by authorities, which is you know quite a horrific act. But I mm. don't feel that there were any real villains in this film. I Not, feel like no. everyone was well intentioned, um, yeah. which was which was interesting because no one could get it right, you know. And no. I thought it just shows how ill equipped we are to deal with trauma you know mm. as a society i don't you know i don't know what you yeah think. another i uh, think the interesting thing that we don't see explored that much is what emma was talking about how if we're parents are we making the right choices for our children and there's that oh, what's the actress's name that played the daughter she was excellent tom uh Wilkins? she's actually a she's kiwi a, yeah, she, a yeah she's she, isn't she, was, she from your hometown from, i don't know about my hometown but <laughs> i know she was on shortland street for was she? Uh, oh. yeah, the, she's the, from Wellington. The great New Zealand. So is she from Wellington? She's from Wellington. Oh, that, yeah, yeah, that's mine. Thom Thomas and Mackenzie. But she was wonderful. And I think that it really also was great in portraying that that's normally when adolescents start thinking for themselves and that's when they start making their own decisions and saying, not well, not taking everything that their parents have been saying for gospel, you know. Mm. Which speaks to, to your point, Emma, about mm. this having broader themes. And mm. for, for me it was... Um, it was almost akin to a fairy tale uh, in a lot of ways, and 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 in that way of the of the the daughter or the child needing to break free of the parents' grip to become an individual and an adult. It's a very psychological thing, mm. uh, but also the woods as 
a, a very much a symbol of fairy tales as being this sort of dark uh, place. They, they're inhabited by wolves and goblins and um, they sort of lead us astray. Children go missing in the woods. Um, but, yeah, it was interesting. There's this scene early in the film where the father and daughter are in their tent and there's wolves howling outside uh, the tent. And I thought that was a there's just some wonderful symbolism in there. And, and that could be read as in any number of ways because it is so late. It could be read as like that's the, the culture, the civilization coming to take you away. It could have been the voices in his head. Yeah. There so, were lots of beautiful um, symbols, lots of beautiful symbolism with dogs in this film. Yes. There, so there's that part there also was dogs as saviors. There was yeah, lots of no, you're right, dogs. Sally. Yeah. yeah but, the dogs as savior thing mm. was really, really beautiful and as it's well. It's very much about the animal instinct mm. within all of us humans, I think. Well, there was one interesting uh, aspect of, of woodland life that is quite unusual in this film. It's, it's What goes on up in the hills where the, the hill folk live is often the stuff of nightmares and horror scenarios for city folk. And this film is, is one which actually shows that there are communities uh, of quite functional people. They might actually have their issues and there might be reasons that they've formed their little communities, but it shows that these are not necessarily unwelcoming places, could be quite the contrary. And it's really rather heartening to see um, a film where there isn't that demonisation of othered people, the, uh, these people being othered who live away from the mainstream, away from the, the big cities, who may once in a while have to interact with city folk, but generally have their own thing going and can find contentment in it, notwithstanding that they might have some traumas. It's not just the, uh, the, the father figure in this film, but there are other people we meet en route to the, the film's denouement where we get to... We get to know quite a, a nice little ensemble of folk uh, up in the hills and it's really sweet and there's some lovely little sing-alongs. I'm primed maybe because I saw Deliverance much too young. I, 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 I expect banjos to start yeah. up and, and bad shit to go down. Yeah, and some dueling. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so the stereotypes are largely avoided in this film and that goes for the the welfare workers who are quite human yes they're concerned and we grasp what their concerns are and that's actually put across quite clearly but also without overstating it they want to check there's nothing untoward going on between father and daughter are they indeed father and daughter um you know, there's interesting tests that they're both tests that they're both put through but then they're, they're the people who um do the one-to-one with them in that uh welfare environment are humane yes this is this is a really nice continuation, though, if you think of it as the American narrative, the American storybook, because we had right from the Western tradition in American movies where it's all about the establishment of community and this creation of community. How do we create it? The, the idea of... Um, a, a city council bringing that together to bring the the lawlessness, creating laws and so forth. And this is another extension of that, like trying to how do you deal with people who don't want to be a part of that and in not a you know nefarious manner who literally are not going to fit and 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 that was the conundrum life one of the conundrums of this film it has a lot that mm. are going on which is a lot that work as a beautiful symbol symbiotic whole mm. which is i felt that 
even Deborah Granick's a wonderful filmmaker. Like watching Winter's Bone, I could have really appreciate it, but I did find that, and my memories of Winter's Bone, it was quite a while that I, uh, ago that I saw it, was a very bleak experience that I found very uh, difficult to watch, really. Uh, this film had... Um, a sense of hope and wonder yeah, about definitely. it. It yeah. was also um, very light. There was no violence. There was no swearing. It's very, it's very gentle. Mm. I th- whereas Winter's Bone is incredibly harsh and incredibly graphic. I found, and so this is, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a much safer sort of space. The one thing I found also quite interesting about it, which another theme it spoke to for me, was um, issues around climate change. And uh, I know that wasn't overt and probably wasn't even intentioned. I don't know, but um, it's it spoke to my um, doomsday prepper in me or something. <laughs> that, um, that, um, well, that it was this... nature-linked, wasn't it? Well, so it was incredibly inherently so. going to be... Yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And so there was just this part that, of it that I really appreciated, which was this potentiality for human beings to still exist in nature um, outside of civilization and streets and cities. And I, I, I loved seeing that on screen and that it was happening. It was interesting that it was happening in this forest, um, which, you know, the forest has now become sort of, or parks, you know, uh, the bush in Australia, they've become, we sort of see them as our playground now, that they're this, these places that we go to for picnics or for camping, um, but we're not properly connected anymore, you know, mm. to, to, to our to our environment. And um, it was nice to see them foraging for mushrooms and, and, <laughs> and knowing where it grew and, um, and covering their traps. And I think the name of the film, Leave No Trace, really speaks to um, that sort of upheld notion of hikers and campers that you take what you leave, take your trash with you, do not um, tarnish uh, the, the nature that you, you are in, in, in inhabiting. Yeah. And yeah. Perhaps point. don't even leave a carbon footprint. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. Perhaps not. Yeah, yeah, and then it also spoke to the maybe to the trash that he's carrying around emotionally as yeah. well. So I thought there's this love, beautiful layers for me. I really enjoyed this. Well, I, I do sense a real paranoid streak in him because there are a few times they ex- have little exchanges back and forth, just checking in with one another that they can still think what they wish to think, right, yeah, and that okay. comes up repeatedly. So there's there is a real sense there that. I mean, look, I, we live in paranoid times, but uh, not least because we're so surveilled, but we bring that upon ourselves. What the <laughs> uh, But, uh, yeah, there is that sense that the, the, one of the, perhaps the symptoms of his post-traumatic stress disorder is uh, a paranoia, a form of paranoia, that he is worried that were he to somehow be integrated once more with the mainstream, he might not be able to think whatever he wishes to. Yes, yeah. And, um, I mean, look, I'm sure all of us self-censor some of the time to some extent. I know I do on radio <laughs> once in a while. I'm do doing you? it right now. Really? <laughs> yeah, it, it really looks at, like um, we're being tracked consistently all the time now and it how do we be a non-conformist in a society where we're being tracked all the time? And I think that the character of the father was almost othered in this film because he was perhaps the only one that wasn't, I guess, going along with that. Mm. There was another kind of silent, invisible character that was mentioned, remember, that was kind of like he was... Even more invisible. Yes, yeah. mm. that similar to the, the, the father that kind of showed his possible journey in it, mm. which I thought was interesting. But, um, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. It's, it's more that... Um, 
it wasn't that he was a non-conformist, non-conformist just because I want to be. It was because I have to be. To yeah. be. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he needed yeah. it. It yeah. was the only space for him mm-hmm. to have any sort of peace to, uh, to be able to exist. Of, I felt anyway. Yes, exactly. yeah. I should say I wasn't quite sure just what period this was set in. I don't think mm. it was quite the current day. Just the technology used when they were undergoing their tests and also the phone that <laughs> yes, was brought they did to offer the, him a phone, It looked yeah. a very peculiar right. old-fashioned phone. So I don't think this was set quite in the current day with all of the technologies that we are accustomed to having surveil us. I think it may have been set maybe 10, 15 years ago. But I, 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 hadn't pick, I hadn't picked up on that, but I know that it's based on the book by Peter Rock called My Abandonment and perhaps it, that, mm. that has, you know, that's when yeah. it was set. I mean, it's not the, the distant book. past, but I got a, a, a bit of a sense of pastness and that would also tie in with him being a vet because we're not sure what he was, which war he was a veteran of, which conflict. No. Um, but maybe it was Vietnam. I, I don't know. We don't even know what happened to his um, his wife. No, right? I loved all that, though. Yeah. I love that it wasn't laid out for us, so there was a lot of mystery to this film. If you're interested in uh, seeing it, it's currently on uh, limited release here in Australia. You are listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 Triple R FM in Melbourne, Australia. Well, it's been over 30 years since American director Spike Lee made his directorial debut with She's Gotta Have It, and since then, Lee has directed in excess of 35 films, notably 1989's Do the Right Thing, Malcolm X in 92, the original Kings of Comedy in 2000, and Chirac in 2015, amongst many others. And throughout all of Lee's oeuvre runs the beauty, absurdity, and horror of black life in America, and his latest film, Black Klansman, is no exception. Based on the improbably true story of African-American police officer Ron Stallworth, played here by John David Washington. Black Klansman is the story of a black man infiltrating the white supremacist group, the Ku Klux Klan or KKK in the 70s. Um, Ron Stallworth um, is the first African-American detective to serve in the Colorado Springs Police Department. With aspirations of becoming a detective but little opportunity afforded to him, Stallworth sets in motion his own mission to infiltrate and expose the KKK by going undercover as a white bigot. Creating a dialogue with the Ku Klux Klan over the phone eventually leads Ron to a feigned friendship with real-life KKK Grand Wizard David Duke. And when he is asked to join the local KKK chapter, Ron enlists his white, albeit Jewish colleague, Flip Zimmerman, played here by Adam Driver, to step in for him as the white Ron Stallworth. And together they attempt to take down the extremist hate group as the organisation aims to sanitise its violent rhetoric and appeal to the mainstream. Uh, It's produced by the team behind the Academy Award-winning Get Out of last year. Um, and Black Klansman is as much a comment on modern day racism and politics as it is a period piece set in the 70s. Or is it, Cerise, what was your opinion of this film? Oh, it's pretty unmistakably it a commentary <laughs> on what's going on in Trump's America. I mean, even opening with um, Alec Baldwin in a, a sort of a faux historical <laughs> rant, an incompetent rant at that, a white supremacist <laughs> rant. I mean, Baldwin is so associated with. Uh, parodying Trump, that's a pretty canny piece of casting just to kickstart the film. Whilst imagery from uh, Birth of a Nation, D.W. Griffith's famous famous 1915 film, um, is projected across him, also quite incompetently. He's... Um, <laughs> it's, it, it, it's a truly farcical beginning, it, but this is one of those films that is intermittently very funny and by its close, not the least bit funny at all. It, um, I felt quite bruised by the end of it, but I, I shan't go too hastily towards how it finishes. But it is absolutely 
uh, engaged with the here and now. It was unmistakable even before this particular coda the film closes with. And it's, it's great. I, I, um, I really enjoyed this. Uh, I even enjoyed the, the bit of being browbeaten at the end. Um, I mean, look, Spike Lee's not always been the most understated of filmmakers, but he, he's, you, you could never uh, have a go at him for not being engaged enough. Uh, and this film's terrific. Um, and that it's a true story is mind-boggling. That it's a true story that only came to light fairly recently is also mind-boggling. And that Spike Lee didn't know about this story until it was brought to him is also really curious because I, I generally see him as a guy with his finger on, on a lot pulse. of pulses. Yeah. But, um, yeah, look, even part of the narrative of this film is the whole story being um, uh, suppressed. So little wonder we didn't get to hear about it for so long. But, um yeah, amazing true story. Uh, Denzel Washington's son in the lead sports a mighty fro. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even realise yeah. that. I didn't realise that I either. only discovered it today too. And I was wow. like, oh, of course, Washington, wow. the surname. They don't look alike at all. He, no, they don't. And he's got such a different acting style. Yeah, very yeah. different. Uh, which I think I prefer, I have to say. It's yeah. much more naturalistic and <laughs> he has a, a really good sense of comic timing, which I, I found really um, refreshing in this film. It, like you say, Cerise, there are so many tonal shifts in this film. Uh, it, like, watching the trailer, I thought, oh, this is like Spike Lee meets Tarantino in some sort of black exploitation. And Spike romp. Lee's never been fond of Tarantino <laughs> either. So I was really interested. The yeah. more the black exploitation like yeah. imagery and actually explicit dialogue about black exploitation yeah. cinema and imagery comes up in the film, the more I was put in mind of Tarantino. But uh, there's such a different sensibility to this. But I, I know, uh, you know Lee has always despised Tarantino's characters freely using the N-word as they do throughout his cinema. Mm. Uh, and you, you certainly get peppered with it an awful lot in this film and uh, an awful lot of pejorative terms for, for all manner of racial minorities, but especially African-Americans and Jews. Yeah, and, mm. yeah. It's interesting because Spike Lee's actually been accused of being anti-Semitic before in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's been a few things. I, I think that they've been actually, uh, um, you know, they're, they're they're not correct. Let's just say, but um, of the way he's project, he's project, um, he's shown uh, Jewish characters previously. So it felt like this was like making up lost ground because really the Jewish characters were pitted alongside the the black American characters as equal exploitation in some ways, which is probably well, which is not true <laughs> in terms of the. Well, the, they the, sort of yeah. say that they're sort of number two on the KKK's hit list, aren't they? Yeah. It goes yeah, exactly. African Americans, and then it goes the Jewish um, community. Yes, 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 yes. But they weren't slaves. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, what I found That's really a big difference. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I, I loved. Um, I mean, it was no accident, obviously, that um, Adam Driver's character, the, the white character, was was Jewish, and I I loved this sort of um, straddling of two worlds that they were constantly having to reconcile. So Ron Stallworth, as the African American cop, is um, who who is a, an aspiring police officer. He wants to be a detective, mm. um, uh, but he 
he has to operate in this very white world um, and for all his, you know, uh, brothers and sisters that are part of the black activist movement, that they don't see that as being a positive thing, um, a, a particularly a woman that he has a romantic relationship with. And um, I, I, and I thought, it, you know what it did? It actually reminded me of a film we, we recently, um, I'm going to draw a long bow here, but a film we reviewed uh, a couple of weeks ago, which was the RBG, the um, documentary, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg documentary about um, the American Supreme Court Justice... Is that right? Is that a title? Um, uh, but but just how it, for for her working in politics and uh, in, in lawmaking, uh, which is a very male white male dominated world, she chose that. She chose that over uh, protesting um, because she could see a way of enforcing real change by working within the system. And I see him as doing the same sort of thing. He's chosen to work in a very within a very white system, um, and 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 explicitly so by literally. Uh, trying to infiltrate the most supreme of, of white organisations, organizations. which is the KKK. And I, I thought that was really interesting. And what he forces his um, comrade to do, who happens to be Jewish, is to face his own Jewishness, which he's sort of denied. He hadn't, well, he hadn't had to. That, yeah. that's what the, I liked. That was an element that I found really strong in this film, that he... he the Adam Driver character, I think he actually mentioned that he was passing. He was white passing. Yes. And he hadn't, even though he hadn't been brought up a religious Jew or anything, he was Jewish, but he, he was, hadn't had <clears throat> to confront it. And then he said that now I have to think about it all the time. And that just reminded me, bringing back to that James Baldwin documentary that we talked about on this show last year, that I am not your Negro with him talking about when there was an academic on the panel with him who was a white academic who said, but you're more like me than probably a lot of black people on the street, for example. And it was the... But no, James Baldwin was confronted with his blackness every day, and that's, that's why right. you you know you see that these you know you, you if you're a black American you, you are, can't hide you from can't it. hide from it. And yeah. It's there all the time. Whereas the Adam Driver's character as Flip Zimmerman, apart from his name, yeah, which he hides, did, behind, which he hides behind, ironically behind Rolf Stallworth's name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. He didn't have to. So all of a sudden he's he's put in the position of being a black man, basically, yeah. I thought as it, a Jewish man. man. Yeah, and I thought further to that it's interesting because uh, I've heard a lot of people say that f- for a Spike Lee f- film, this is probably one of his more accessible films. It's, it has a very mainstream feel about it cinematically, how it's shot visually um, and, and in terms of pace and storytelling, I'd say. And I think that's interesting too, isn't it? Because Lee then has to straddle this sort of uh, world of being accessible to the masses, mm. but also speaking for his minority, you know, and 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 being a voice of those that the people. Do you think? Mm. Yeah, I think that he did. He does that in a really clever way, where he has used cinema, yes. to uh, communicate. And that. he's a real student and of he, cinema. He has used black exploitation to communicate the importance mm. of race divide here, <clears throat> and he's also used things like um, Birth of a Nation, D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation, it's and very Gone, meta, and gone isn't with it? the Wind. Yeah, Gone with the Wind well. opens the film. Interesting. So yeah. yeah, there's an opening shot of the Confederate flag with Gone with the Wind, and also um, Birth of a Nation, which is prominent towards the end of the film, which was originally called Klansman. Mm. That was the working title for Birth of a Nation, um, which 
really changed the way that we look at cinema. But even that, it's a that, really the, important the, film. The black exploitation stuff that was in there exactly. too. Exactly, the and, and the use and, and the yeah, use of split fly. screen and everything yep. was just ah, oh, that made my heart leap. I loved that. That was excellent. So I, I think that the way that he has used cinema to comment on, um, you know, how we look at race is really, really clever and much more clever than, than what Tarantino does when he comments on cinema within his films. Yeah, I felt it's, mm. it's layered, isn't it? Because it is, it's a comment also on the cinematic form and yeah. how it's been used historically. Mm. Um, but like I sort of alluded to in the, the, at the start of this, it, it is very much speaking about today and um and the film you know uh is leading us toward that like like we were saying there are lots of tonal shifts so you think oh is this a comedy is this a a farce um and then it gets pulls back and it's it's very pulls you down and it's very serious it's also very stylistic there's the the song i just played before the cornelius brothers and sister rose with too late to turn back now that 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 features over um a dance sequence um which is just beautifully shot did was anyone else moved by that there were, yeah. yeah, it's gorgeous. Uh, yeah, and, and it also followed on from that um, Kwame Toure speech. Incredible, yeah. like that, Which, that was amazing. And went the, the way, way that it was shot. And he had the on the audience the way mm. he had those kind of. Um, shots of people reacting to, which were like, um, uh, it felt like an Isaac Hayes album cover. It reminded me of <laughs> the Fuji's album, album cover. Oh, my God, yes. yes. <laughs> it was the, oh God, what was the name of that Fuji's album? I know the one oh, you're talking the about. The one that, oh, everyone God. Calling, they're, they're all being, everyone's they're all being, everyone's <laughs> calling, the phone's Thanks ringing. Thanks for calling you. No one's <laughs> Anyway, it looked like that Fuji's album cover. Yeah. Sorry, the person that's calling that's really frustrating. I'm not thinking of that. I, I actually found it, even though this was incredible, immensely entertaining for me. I think it's a really enjoyable film. I did have a few problems with it. For what he seemed like the most naive black man ever. <laughs> that he, it seemed like he had been dropped into. Um, Colorado Springs from, I don't know, Germany or something. He had no idea of local black culture. He went to those that rally and was sort of wide-eyed like, what is this? Why are they all so angry? But I feel like that was... <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I, I I was wondering about that too, but I felt like that was his woke moment. That was when he was sort of well. There's, yeah, there's I a, that too. yeah, I think there are mm. times where Spike Lee is, does paint <laughs> things with quite broad strokes. So, for example, one or two of the KKK uh, members are just caricatures. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He has one, fun with there's them. There's a couple who are absolutely rabid. There's one who's <laughs> unspeakably cretinous, and you know they're, 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 they're such types. But others, you know, the ones who are really scary the David Duke character, yeah. um, it's because he's smart and he has a strategy. And he seems perfectly reasonable. And he seems, yeah. Mm. He seems, and yeah. he's still popping up in... Well, today, yeah. yeah. He he recently, yeah. yeah, absolutely, which yeah. they put in the final sequence. The final sequence, without saying too much, I did have a problem with. I felt that it was tacked on and unnecessary. I mm. thought that... Um, I felt like it was as though Spike Lee felt... I'm not being serious enough. I have to make people aware that I am really being serious with this. And I'm also, the the fear that people may not be able to take something that's an historic event and place it into the future or or the present. That that annoyed me, to be totally honest. I found it very, very, very manipulative. I thought it was really 
powerful. I think that mm. it communicated yeah. its point <laughs> really, really well. Well, I mm. thought it was yeah, desperately unsubtle, but still mm. powerful. Yeah, same. But I, I was and there, there is a sorry, sorry, oh, sorry. There oh. is there is a lot of people that will see this film that won't make that connection and that do need that extra thing to explicitly say this is happening now. I agree. You yeah. know, yeah, I there totally. Are that I need just that. like, I, no, I agree, and I, I feel your frustration, Emma. But I, I, I'm also on board with you, Sally. I'm just like, I don't care. Hit people over the head with it. Yeah, it's important. I, I thought also um, the inclusion of Harry Belafonte and his um, rousing speech to these, these, this young black community was really powerful. You know, and it was. I mean, it's, it's like you say, he paints a very broad picture. It was said juxtaposed yeah. against the KKK watching the birth of a nation, which is this horrifically uh, racist uh, period film. Um, mm. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I thought that that was really, really powerful and moving. And I was reading an, an interview with Spike Lee where he was talking about ha- to the actors about, oh, we're going to get Harry Belafonte in to, to, to talk, to, to have this scene, um, which, which almost plays out like documentary then. There's like a sh- tone, another tonal shift where you're like, is, is this drama anymore or are we mm. watching a, a, a doco? Um, and they didn't, the cast didn't know who he was. So it was really... V- Doubly powerful for them mm. in the filmmaking mm. process. Well, he's such a legendary figure. I haven't seen him on screen in any form for many years. Damn. So it took me, yeah, it took me a moment for that penny to drop. But fuck me, that is actually Harry Belafonte. Yeah. And <laughs> he's that, still alive. He's, well, and still incredibly charismatic. Yes. Um, yes. But the, intercutting that with the KKK folk watching Birth of a Nation... A lot of people attribute that film to not quite being the birth of cinema, but a lot of cinema language being um, uh, formed with that film with D.W. Griffith's early work, sometimes rightly, Mm -hmm. sometimes wrongly. Mm -hmm. But basically that film, it's it's almost, Spike's almost implicating the very medium cinema in uh, racism. And it was well known that Birth of a Nation gave the KKK new life. Yeah, I felt he did. Well, the the Tarzan, the Kwame Ture Tarzan talk too. That was fantastic. And that might be why he laid it on super, super thick at the very end. And I tell you, seeing Trump in high definition on a big screen is horrific. (laughs) (laughs) That was really the most horrifying Uh, moment. Orange monster. Yeah. (laughs) Three, triple, R. But now we will be discussing West of Sunshine. Uh, Australian writer-director Jason Raftopoulos' debut feature film had its world premiere at the Venice Film Festival late last year and after doing the festival rounds, including the Melbourne International Film Festival, West of Sunshine has just received a limited local release. It stars Damien Hill as Down on His Luck Jim, or Jimmy, who is given one day to pay off a $15,000 gambling debt to a violent loan shark. A gambler, Jimmy has a plan which involves little more than a bet on the horses and his wager comes good. Uh, Jimmy does win big, but troubles abound as Jimmy promptly squanders the lot, leading him to run some errands that are not strictly legal. His efforts to raise the money are further complicated by the presence of his young son, Alex, played by Tyler Perham, who he carts around with him in his dad's vintage car as he delivers small parcels of white powder about town. West of Sunshine's co-stars uh, Kat Stewart, Tony Nico Lacup... Oh, sorry, Tony Nicol... Bugger! <laughs> your, your Greek name pronunciation. I know. Come on, Terrible. Lisa. I'm Greek and I practice it. Nikolakopoulos. No, Nikolakopoulos. There we go. Beautiful. Um, and Arthur Angel. Beautiful. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> <
There you go. No, it's, it's actually Oreo. Um, uh, <laughs> um, yes, they also star in this film. Um, and, and I think of interest to many local Melbourne viewers will be the use of Melbourne's cityscapes and familiar historically working class outer suburbs of which we are broadcasting from one tonight here in Brunswick East. Um, Emma, what did you make of this neo-realist day in the life drama? It's a bit of fun. Bit of fun. West of Sunshine, yeah, it is. It's interesting this the way this film has come about. It seems to be uh, a theme that Jason Ras Raftopoulos 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 <laughs> has been well, he's been very interested. It's obviously a very personal theme. I think he has had an absent father or um, uh, a relationship that's been fraught with his father. And there was a short film that he made called Father's Day, which has um, played around the traps, the film festival traps, including the Greek film festival here. I do know that it has played there. And this is really a thematic working, reworking of this into feature film form. Um, and I think a very successful fe- uh, reworking of this into feature film form. And also um, those who have seen Bicycle Thieves, the De Sica yeah. film, will pick up a lot of themes from that film. That And, and uh, he wears that uh, really, that film on the sleeve of this film, let's say. Um, that, yeah, I found it to be... Successful in a number of ways. There was a couple of perform a couple of performances that I thought were a little clunky in it, weren't quite working right for me. Namely, and oh, don't I don't want to name them. Oh, no, really? that's unfair. Okay, I, will. I don't. You will. All right, I'll let Lisa <laughs> no, no, go for no, broke. No, no, no. Um, it kind of led into. I feel that there's a lot of this with Australian film that, that led into slow-mo, high emotional technology, um, high emotional th- themes that it kind of built on it a little bit too much for my liking. Mm. Um, slow-mo is a big thing in Australian films. Australians love doing it for some reason. Uh, but overall, it still worked as a as a whole and I thought that it... it, it didn't necessarily go into places that I didn't expect, but it did it successfully. Let's yeah. Say. Yeah. So, what did you think? Yeah, it's a nice enough little film. Yeah. It's um, it's enjoyable from a local perspective, though. The, the first locations I spotted weren't west of Sunshine; they were sort of more North Melbourne-ish. I, I saw some familiar and streetscapes. Beaconsfield Parade. Beacons, yes, and Beaconsfield Parade. Yes. Does, I don't even know if Sunshine features in this film at all. Actually, I think it's isn't that the point that you're never there? I don't know. I didn't. I the didn't first. Spend... I think one of the first um, streetscapes is Footscray Road. Yeah, that yeah. I noted. Yeah, or Dinan. Yeah, but, one of those yeah. west into the city arterial. But then roads. it went all over the place. Mm. Yeah, this is a very familiar sort of story: a downward spiral, a slow burn, a father son dynamic, which strained. There are little moments of triumph, but then their uh, winnings are, are quickly lost. It's a, it, there's a lot that's really very familiar, but it's still a pleasant enough, uh, what was it, but 90 minutes, if, if that? Yeah, 72. Yeah. <clears throat> it's very short, actually. Like, you know, it's quite a, a light sort of duration. Yeah, it wasn't long, really? which, which I appreciated. I actually, 
I, I appreciate it because I was sort of I'm mean, stuck in that car with the dad for so long. I was sort of like, are we there yet? You know. <laughs> no, I think that's actually very, very sensible filmmaking. Yeah, totally. And which I wish a lot of filmmakers would employ more. Mm. I think they get sort of lost in the importance of the oh, film. You, you get maybe... attached to footage as well when you're making a film. Oh, you I can't let it go. That. It's very I difficult. Totally understand. Funny that. though, because Black Klansman was incredibly long, but I didn't feel that the time was was overindulgent or wasted. I thought that that I, I, that film sat well with me in, in duration. Mm, mm. This one, which was shorter, I, I actually lost patience with and I really wanted to like it because it's a local filmmaker. And So you um, didn't enjoy it? No, not at all. I, I, oh. I, it did remind me, I mean, I, I, w- I really wanted to and I, I think there was a lot of, you know, commendable things about it um but yeah it, it was sort of familiar territory it, it didn't it didn't feel it really speak to anything prescient for me um you know and well I don't know I just I, I couldn't um I couldn't I couldn't go with it um and I wish I could have um I I felt it was all a little bit predictable I didn't feel I, I didn't I wasn't invested in the characters I, I felt that the the lead father role it needed somebody with a bit more shade. I felt like it was he played one note the whole the whole film, and it didn't really. I couldn't go on the journey with him, and the symbolism of him having his father's car. I just found or it grandfather's grandfather's even, was maybe. It? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was it was very 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 familiar. The, yeah. the, the only one element that was a little unusual, which I then thought didn't actually sit all that well with the familiarity of the rest of it, was the Elisa Gerard uh, soundtrack. Mm. I thought, that's really odd. Where did that come from? How, how did that... And it kind of comes in the second half of the film. Yeah. Did, you, did you think it didn't fit with it? Yeah, well, it just, it, it just yeah. seems so... It, it had a sort of polish to it that a quite gritty neo-realist film. It just didn't. It's that, true. That doesn't gel for me. Uh, something sort of ethereal and dead can dancey versus um, Western suburban Melbourne and construction and, and working class and, folk well, down on their luck. And, and yeah. that, that could have been really interesting. That contradiction, but it didn't actually just. Work well, see, me. I actually think that that gelled perfectly with the way the film led into this kind of you know this sort of a more emotional. Filmscape. Mm. Maybe it was more about where it journeyed rather than where it started. And no, that that just came and fits and starts. Maybe if there was something in the sound design that tied mm. it together for me, that might have worked well. But it just just came out of the blue every now and again, and I thought, hmm. mm. I couldn't help. Mm. I couldn't How about help that then. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you, Cerise. And um, I think it started the film started to get a little bit obsessed with traveling shots as well in the car, and that's why I was like, oh, God, "Come on, let's just get to the destination now." Um, with that music overlaid over the top of it, and I couldn't help but be reminded of David Michaud's Animal Kingdom, just because of the working class Aussie vibe and the underworld and drugs and stuff. But that is so much darker, and I was so much more drawn into that film uh, than this one. This one was just far too light, given the subject matter. Yeah, it made me anxious. Shots in cars yeah. in Animal Kingdom. Part, yes, like, yeah. but they're much more effective. <laughs> there is absolutely, but they're much, much more effective and and darker. Um, yeah, sorry, Cerise. Emma's pointing at the time. I know it's we're really, going to wrap it up. It's really late, Lisa. Okay, we're fifty but seconds I over. I have to say one more thing. Yes, I have to say. I don't know whether anyone noticed, but coming off Radiothon, there was a mention. Oh, there was a mention in Black Clansman. Oh yes, there was. <gasps> I noticed one hundred two point seven. 
Yes, yeah. seven. I, I yep. saw it with Cerise last night. We both had a little chuckle. Yeah. It's like, yes. I only listened to 102.7. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Expect that coming to a sting near you on yeah, Triple totally. R. I'm going <laughs> to be using it. Um, uh, look, but that's probably about all we have time for. We've gone over time. Um, tonight we've discussed uh, local film West of Sunshine, American independent film Leave No Trace, both of which are on limited national release, and Spike Lee's Black Klansman, which is on wide national release. You have been listening to Sally Christie, Emma Westwood, Cerise Howard, and myself, Lisa Kovacevic, here on Triple R's Plato's Cave. Um, if you missed anything, you can catch the podcast version of Plato's Cave wherever you get your podcasts from. This has been a podcast from 3 R 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.